Be advised, today's episode contains adult content. Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today, we'll be reviewing the Game Mastery Guide. This is part of our book review series where we review every core book in the Pathfinder RPG. Christian, I'm tired. I haven't slept at all. That's not a funny saying. That's truth. You mean ever? All right, Christian. This is how we're going to start today. This is what we're doing today. Great. I'm glad we're setting the tone on how we're moving <laughs> forward. Now, I did not sleep between yesterday and today. To me, it is all straight line of continuity, which is the worst. My fat hurts, and <laughs> I'm recording this in my underwear. Now, you may be thinking, Caleb, you're great at making jokes. I'm so glad you brought some levity to the situation. Nothing I've said so far has been a lie. I hate being in my underwear very much. I wear clothes all the time. The only time I don't wear clothes is when I go to bed. When I wake up, socks go right on these feet. I hate having feet that don't have socks on. I hate not being covered in layers of clothes. I'm in Missouri. It's extremely hot right now. I wear an undershirt and another shirt. You know why? Because I like clothes. So the fact that I'm here in my underwear means I'm miserable. And I cannot wait to see what kind of an episode this will turn out to be. It's already sounding like a great episode. I have to pee a lot. Do you know why that is, Christian? It's because I'm drinking a lot. Not because you drink water. It is, in fact. Now, I know why you're surprised. You would normally assume I'm drinking soda. And you would be right normally. However, the water in my household is poison. And I have to boil it. You know what boiled water tastes like, Christian? (laughs) It tastes like boiled water. So I went out and I got bottled water. And... I'm beginning to learn about myself. I don't drink soda just because I love the taste and I'm addicted to it like a monster, like a human garbage can. (laughs) It's because it's convenient. It's a little bottle right there. Now that there's a water bottle there, I'm drinking it all the freaking day long, which means I'm peeing all the freaking day long. I hate it. It's kind of a weird thing and it gnaws on me that because I can't drink water, I'm drinking more water than I have in my life. My body's like, abort. We don't know what's happening. We don't know how to fix this. Just eject everything out of the penis. Caleb. Just get it all out. (laughs) You might just be hydrated, Caleb, and that might be what normal people do. Well, I could tell you normal people do not record an episode like I'm doing it or inform the listeners in the amount of detail I have of how they're doing it. So the Game Mastery Guide. The M is capitalized in Game Mastery, and that's stupid. My mother's name is Mary Ellen. She capitalizes the E in Ellen. That's fine. But you know what? It causes problems. I've gotten <laughs> mailed to my household before. That's for Mary Space Middle Named Ellen Space Garofolo. That person doesn't exist. Christian, guess how well that went at the post office telling them that that person didn't exist. You're correct. It did not go well. So you know how I had to stop getting mail for <laughs> Mary Space Ellen Space Garofolo, which was always junk mail. You can know just by seeing that name that it was junk mail. I had to do a change of address. Hey, real quick side note. Did you know you could do a change of address for pretty much anybody as long as you know their current address? There's no real verification required. Thanks, America. So I just changed Mary Space Ellen Space Garofolo to an address I made up, and I have not gotten mail from her ever again. Somewhere in the dark recesses of the world, there is just a P.O. box overflowing. And some people want the government to handle more things. (laughs) You know what I want the government to handle? Clean water. Can you just give me water? We have a freaking space force, but I can't get water. I would love water. (laughs) Kayla, this is just the title of the book. There are 320 pages in the Game Mastery Guide. And there are nine chapters, and we're going to tell you about 
all of them. Hopefully, I can't make this as a confident promise, but I'm at least trying to make a commitment here that most of that will not contain information about me, my clothing situation, or my body situation. Boxers are briefs, though. I need to know. Boxers are boxer briefs. I have a problem with uh, my testicles. My veins <laughs> have <laughs> dropped into my testicles. When I was a young kid, I would run cross country and I had a pain there. I'm like, this sucks. So my, I went to the doctor and they're like, oh, yeah, that's probably a tumor. I'm like, oh, this is probably not great. Went to the doctor, did the thing. So when I went to the doctor, this is the first time I ever had any of these freaking scans. Right? So I had to wear that stupid gown, right? That's like, hey, here's a presentation of my butt, right? Well, I, I had that, but I didn't know how to put it on. So I put it backwards. So it was just curtains for my dick. Just like, hello here, this is where this is. It, listen, it made sense to little Caleb, they're scanning my balls. Why would I have the opening in the back? Anyway, she did, the nurse lady was a girl, thanks. Thanks a lot, hospital, for a young kid. That was great for me. Uh, didn't say anything. It was very nice of her. She did the scan. We found out it wasn't cancer. It wasn't a tumor. It was veins. Veins decided, we don't like the pelvis anymore. We're going into your ball sack. Enjoy. So I have extra veins in my scrotum to make my balls heavy so that it literally hurts to walk. So I have to have support. But tidy whities are for losers. That's right. I'm judging every one of you right now, especially adults. So I wear boxer briefs. you have any further so questions? This is the episode where you get to know your game master. You get to know, <laughs> what really know who is running your game. What I'm trying to convey is you should know your game master. You're right, Chris. I'm glad you saw what the point I was trying. To make the other point I'm trying to convey is if you want to kill me, kick me in the balls, you'll rupture a vein, and I'll bleed to death. <laughs> so, uh, the introduction actually goes through and kind of says what a GM should be and then references each chapter. So, it's like the GM should be a mastermind. So, chapter two, we're going to talk about running the game, the GM should be a mediator. So, chapter three, we're going to talk about player characters. So I'll kind of reference that as we move out. But chapter one doesn't get a reference. I guess it does. It gets, I guess, hosts. I just noticed that now. I thought it didn't get one. Modifying the notes. There, it's fixed. We get host. So the chapter one getting started. Oh, let's also, while we're being honest here, Christian just decided to leave this whole thing up to me. So any thoughts Christian have are not wholly original. He's just looking at my notes and making guesses, I guess. In the chapter one getting started is 16 pages. This is where your GM needs to be the host. Game masters are the unifying force behind most of the game, not just organizing a social event, but providing excitement and entertainment for those who participate. It's great. You're going to be the host. So there's a small list of duties as the GM. You're supposed to be the storyteller, the entertainer, the moderator. Mm, put your pinky up. Aren't you special? And there's a little glossary of GM terms like, this is what an adventure is. This is what a campaign is. Hey, guess what, Paizo? I think everyone figured out what a session is. Thanks for putting it down there. But I think we could have gathered that one up. Thanks, buddy, pal. <laughs> well, I think the, the definition of duties is actually a little helpful because I think a lot of people, especially if you are a first-time GM, don't really understand that these are all the aspects that you need to cover as a GM. Especially, I think the instructor is important. A lot of people go to GM a game like Pathfinder, a game that is deeply embedded in rules and minutia of those rules, and they're like, eh, I don't really know the rules, but we'll make it fun. And that's a cute idea, but there's other game systems that you can run that are more conducive to running a more freeform game like that. You need to be someone that knows the rules. You need to be able to instruct your players when they are unsure of things. You have to be able to tell them when they level up and they're picking their mechanics, when they're picking their feats, you have to be able to tell them like, hey, this is a good option or this is something that will fit into what you're looking for. Wow, Christian, great input. Next, yeah, we'll find the, original, Caleb. Well, the finding the right style of play, tone, 
setting, etc. There's actually some really good comments in this section talking about how to deal with sensitive topics. Suggestions about like testing the waters before you get more intense, but I was surprised it didn't suggest outright talking to your players about it. Like, I don't mean like you want to say, whoa, 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 you seem uncomfortable. Were you raped? Maybe not what you need to be doing. I think we've given some great illustration before about, you know, privately sending out a little thing. Is there anything that you don't want to see in the campaign with no questions asked after that? You know, that can be helped better than just testing. Let's put a little bit of rape in there. We'll see if it bothers you. I don't know if that's the best way. <laughs> just a splash. Just a splash what of is, abuse. <laughs> what is the breaking point here? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to find that. I can't wait to find all my players' breaking points to make them cry and have to go to therapy. <laughs> What is your child abuse half-life? How far do we have to make him uncomfortable before he explains and admits he's got veins in his sack? Then it talks about some session basics, like the number of players you need, finding players, where to play, when to play. Freaking thing in there about, like, don't get in vans with strangers sort of deal. Not joking. But they do mention weekend games where you stay overnight. And this is amazing. I should have tried this. I don't know why I didn't when I had, like, we were playing 16 hours a week. Uh... This sounds like the best camp ever. Hey, Rome, we're going to have everyone come over 8 o'clock at night. We're going to play. Then we're going to go to sleep. We're going to wake up, eat some breakfast, and play again. Does that sound amazing? Why didn't I ever do this? Christian, if we were ever able to get together in person again, we need to do this. Do a sleepover campaign. Christian, absolutely. This sounds amazing. <laughs> Only if it gets really meta and you ambush uh, the players in the middle of the night by waking them up with an encounter. I'm starting to have second thoughts. <laughs> they talk about player absence, which is a problem for every GM. You know, how maybe you're going to call off the session. Ideas about like food at the game table, how to deal with children and pets, interplayer conflict. Interplayer conflict gets only two paragraphs. Um, we did a whole episode on it, and I still think we didn't say enough. <laughs> so I don't know what you're going to do with two paragraphs, but they try to address it. Hey, brief little aside. I kind of want to re-record that one day. If we gave some sort of naive advice, not that we were naive, but I think that maybe we didn't put enough effort into saying what solutions were. Because a lot of it was just talk to your people like adults. That doesn't always work out. And that's not always easy. Sometimes that's really hard and you'll go through any other easy option. It's tough. And even when you can talk, even when you're good friends, it can still be tough. As an example, there's a point where we had to replace Christian in a game, and even just me saying, hey, so you're cool with us replacing you, you're like, yeah, but can you not call it replacing? You talk about how, like, maybe it was even difficult, even as we were friends, trying to deal with that Well, also, you weren't the GM, Caleb. So we didn't say it in the other episode. I think it's ultimately the GM is the arbiter of those things. Mm -hmm. And it could definitely seem off-putting if other players are like, yeah. Yeah, let's get rid of you. Right, right. <laughs> and that one was like, there was no bad blood. It was all exactly. about time. I couldn't make a certain day. Schedule didn't work out. But I mean, even that, I, I bet that didn't feel good. And it was still tough, at least for me on my side. It was a hard conversation to have. You're really beating yourself over this, Caleb. I'm fine. Well, Christian, you're you're, you're going against what I'm trying to illustrate here is that even that is still, <laughs> it's still was a little tough. I feel like even though it was like a little bit, like there was a little bit of off-putting there. It was even like, haha, we'll have to joke around and make sure that we're, we continue to make jokes so everyone knows that we're not angry here since we're doing this over text, which is probably the worst way. <laughs> All right, Christian, thanks for helping me with this illustration. Then they also talk about needing... Uh, need, to ma I'm just, need to mask my pain with the, these layers of memes and emoticons. That's how I'm displaying my upsetness at my GM changing something about my character. Basic needs, they also <laughs> display such as rule books, you need miniatures, map, things like that. That's actually great. Uh, episode 101, and I think in real life versus online play, we talk about some of these needs. And there's some short tips about one-shot versus campaigns. And then they talk about writing a campaign guide. I'm not a big fan of this. I'm more into telling most of the world 
info in the game itself. I mean, sure, I let everyone know character creation rules and a brief like one or two paragraph about the game and the world they're going into, but I like to do all my world building in game. I remember Christian, I felt nice. One of the few times I've ever felt genuinely happy in my lifetime is when you complimented, <laughs> you said, oh, that's cool. And in the first session of season one, you didn't come out and say to your players, there was a reproduction suppression field. It means that it was built 60 years ago. It means that there are no more children. Instead, there was like some sort of 50th or 500th celebration. And it was kind of offhandedly referenced. You're like, okay, well, that was a nice way to do that. That is the way I like to do it better than here's a book. Read it. Good luck. Oh, good, good luck getting your players to read anything. Jeez, you think your players could read? I can't get them to show up on time! <laughs> Chapter 2, running a game. This is 34 pages. The intro... That, that's, that seems pretty short for, like, the bulk of what you're doing. Oh, Christian, this whole thing is all about a couple paragraphs or only a couple pages about huge topics. The mastermind is what the intro calls this. Jim's work to keep a game's momentum moving in directions that entertain all the players while exploring the stories and settings they desire. To such ends, a GM manipulates dozens of elements from how narrative components unfold to what rules are used and how they function in every situation. So it talks about some style choices. Are you going to do miniatures? Are you going to do it freeform? Is this going to be the sort of like in-character heavy role-playing or out-of-character, which I would like imagine is like a dungeon crawl sometimes. Some ideas about how you do your pre-game prep. And then how to run the game, like literally running the game, like initiative, tracking HP, that sort of thing. And then a small like half page example of play of like John says, roll initiative and Bob rolls, takes out the D20 and rolls it. And then John says that was a hit. I actually think that's very useful when I try to illustrate to new players how the game works. When somebody asks me, what exactly is Pathfinder? The first thing I do is illustrate it with an example. Like You're that. right. This is entirely two small sections to talk about big topics they have like one sentence and it's just you know when you have dice make sure you have an adequate supply of dice at minimum make sure each player has a full set of dice and immediately i'm like well that you can't just stop there even if they just have one full set it's probably not enough they're gonna run to a weird scenario where they need more now they have too many dice now they forgot which dice and everyone can't tell the difference between a d8 and a <laughs> d10 hey you know what one of them has a zero on it Okay, and it's got two more sides. It's actually not that difficult to tell them apart. I felt like that was less trying to illustrate my point and more just so you really had something to say about D10s and do. Why can't people tell them apart? <laughs> they look very different. Don't even get me started on D10s and D percentages and people trying to read those. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to replace all my D10s or D8s with those dice that are just like little barrels that you roll. Like they're almost like little logs and they just have X number of sides. I'm going to replace them all so that never happens again because it tilts me off the face of the earth. Caleb update, my sweat is making me stick to my chair and I hate it. <laughs> uh, then it talks about how to move things forward. It talks about allusion to free choice. Some important topics are addressed in this section. And uh, we're actually going to talk about this in an episode about lying to your players. I've been thinking I'm on this topic a lot and I'm going to kind of save my comments for that episode. But they give a little bit of time there and I think it's actually an important topic. And although we have this comment that there's not a huge amount of detail in each of these topics, it is useful to kind of have this checklist. I don't think they can necessarily answer all the correct ways for you to do your bookkeeping, what initiative tracking system works for you and your players. But it's nice to have this checklist to know what you will have to suss out with your players. Good job finding something positive, Christian. 
<laughs> I need to put some light in this bleak, <laughs> sweaty Caleb world. I can see how they could cut some <laughs> other sections short so they can give us some acting tips for the GM. All right. Yeah, why don't you just give me a, a gosh darn phone <laughs> number for an improv school and then five minutes to stand up as a test. Then about presentation, like handouts, music, ambiance, that sort of thing. I find music extremely important, as you would know if you listened to the 200 series. You would know if you listened to my stuff. Some narrative techniques like flashbacks and foreshadowing. and They also discuss your GM cheating and sort of fudging the dice here, which is always a big important topic. Then they talk about dice mechanics and gaming paraphernalia, which we talked about in our episode on miniatures and dice. Uh, and I find it funny that they lumped these two things together as well. It's pretty much the same thing we did. Then they did linear versus non-linear versus unrestricted slash open world slash sandbox adventures. I think we actually used that outright in our at the end of our 200 series talking about how to run games and they have really good illustrations there that you can look through and and understand what they mean it's actually very helpful to to sort of run your game it's actually i found it more helpful on how to describe to people when they go what's your jamming philosophies and it's uh, i look at this ah i finally have a good way to illustrate i've got these big moments and they figure out how to get to them and i think that i think that portion in particular is very useful especially for me when i go to write a campaign when i do homebrew things a lot of times i get stuck because i'm really building everything from scratch and it's very much a paralysis of choice it's hard to finish one thought because everything's so interconnected they lay out the setting and the scope and they kind of give you almost like a again a checklist of what you will need for this to be a successful like setting to about how to run a smooth combat, and they mentioned the five-second rule, which I use every once in a while if my players are taking way too long, which is when it's your turn, you have five seconds. You don't really have five seconds because you have everybody else's turn in front of you, which is generally a long time, especially as you get higher levels. So five seconds, if you don't start telling what you do by then, we skip your turn. It's about how to build encounters, how to deal with unusual campaigns, like, oh, you don't have any healers, or your entire party are spellcasters. Some tips on how to fix a broken adventure. Do you have too much treasure did, did your pcs miss a clue good little tips and uh then big game changers like what if there's now flying in your game what if your one of your players has teleportation or remote viewing spells this little part right here i wish i had read this section earlier in my career i had to learn the hard way i wish i just read the freaking couple paragraphs and told me how to deal with this stuff instead of coming with up with terrible solutions on my own it's a very common sentiment that pathfinder is a high fantasy game in the Higher levels do get kind of rocket taggy. There are a lot of these tools like teleportation out there that GMs can and likely will struggle with if they don't have an answer for. And Paizo here actually puts forward very good answers on how to handle a lot of these things. Again, it's not a lot, but I don't think they needed a lot because with these, they talk about invisibility, they talk about teleportation. I think they really hit the nail on the head with a lot of this. They talk about TPKs, how to deal with overpowered PCs, which is mostly tips on how about how to nerf things well. Uh, then there's a bunch of tables, plots, plot twists, MacGuffins and quest items, cultural titles, and then literally just an entire page of words, like top to bottom, just words every game master should know. Now we move on to chapter three, player characters. Now you may be saying to yourself, wow, they're kind of handling this review a little bit weird. Seems a little scattershot. You know, it's probably just be Caleb's in this very strange mood where he's apparently taken an opiate of some kind. The truth is this book is organized in a very scattershot way. It's difficult to talk about things because everything only gets like a page or a couple paragraphs, so it's hard to sort of discuss it in depth because I might as well just read the book to you, which these reviews aren't about. So please forgive us if it really seems a little bit like that. We're trying to pick out a general overview of what you can find in each chapter, then highlighting some points, so please excuse that. In my opinion, it's not too much of a knock on the book. There's not really, I think, a very good way to organize role-playing games and all the issues 
issues that can arise with them. There's a multitude of things that can happen, and they're covering a whole lot of topics that I don't think cleanly fit under one umbrella. They go over so much, I think they did the best job they could with the arrangement. It could definitely be a little better, but I think it's a really daunting task to have to arrange where, well, where do we put the problem with teleportation and remote viewing as compared to overpowered PCs? Well, let me tell you, Christian, I also think they probably had page limits. Mm. I'm not in the world of publishing, so I understand why this is, why the core rulebook can be so big and it's not a problem, but then you have a page limit on this book. It confuses me. I think it would have done wonders for them if they had extra space. You could have talked so much about so much more of the stuff here and probably would have helped organizing it as well. But let's move on to chapter three, player characters. There's 22 pages in this chapter. The GM is the mediator. Just as GMs make sure all of a game's plots and rules work together to entertain, they must also ensure that the players themselves mesh and cooperate. From tips on on handling unusual (laughs) characters and common PC problems to the delicate tasks of introducing new players and addressing the needs of several gamer archetypes. All right, it talks about before the game, sort of how to deal with character creation, manage some expectations, or I'm sorry, it's more like determining what kind of game you want to run with it, with everybody together. Just kind of weird, by the way, I've never really gone into a game and said, all right, guys, let's all figure out what kind of game we're going to run here. I usually go, I'm going to run this game, who wants to play in this kind of game? And I think that's the most common way to do it, but I did try that once, and it was my most successful campaign. I just kind of sent a memo out to my players and said, you give me a character that you want to play. You four people give me characters that you want to play. I am going to make a setting. I'm going to make a story to encompass all of you. You make whatever character you want, and I'm going to make it work. And it was actually really successful. Hmm. Good. Talk about stuff during the game. There's a little bit of note there about metagaming. Then stuff how to deal with after the game, like leveling up, feedback, journals in between sessions, which was something I actually got from you, Christian. I used to do it every time. Now I kind of just do it when I feel inspired. I break it up. I use a tool called Obsidian Portal. It's a website. Uh, I have one player make an in-character journal after every session they rotate. So it's not anyone's one job to be making a journal every time. How does it work making them do it? I, I, I just do it electively. My GM doesn't tell me to. I'd find it weird for you. So I want you to write a journal. I'd be like, excuse me, sir. I can wear what clothes I want. Tim, let me wear what clothes my character wants. <laughs> It's just one of the small things I ask. I think one to two page writing every five sessions. So what? It's not gosh. Yeah, you're not giving freaking you know calculus homework. It's not like you wrote a backstory. At least write something. <laughs> oh, cutting deep. But I, I, it's not something I technically require. But no one's ever been like, no, I, I don't want to do that. No, I, I refuse. And they talk about new players. Where to find some few tips on how to introduce new players. It's very short for something I think you should actually need a lot of advice for. I mean, one day we'll do an episode on that. How to get the PCs together. Another thing you need. To, it's could use a lot of tips for they don't give you enough for party composition character death there's a big section on alignment great that's everything i wanted to know more about and then player types which <laughs> is most of the chapter now we discussed these in length in our player types and conflict episode one of the best parts of this book in my humble opinion i would be careful how you use these use it to help not to hurt labeling people almost always hurts so it's it's best to use this to help yourself or to, in your mind, deal with expectations and how to work with different people without pointing your finger at people and saying, you're this and you're in this box and you can't possibly be anything else. You have to fit into this box. And then we move on to chapter four, non-player characters. This is 22 pages. The actor. Through the gym, the cast of entire fantasy worlds takes the stage. In a given session, a game master might play... Why is game master two words here? But the game mastery guide is one. Might play a generous peasant or a conniving king, a rampaging dragon, or an enigmatic deity. 
whatever the persona, the GM's characters are only as convincing, endearing, despicable, or memorable as the person who portrays them. Or you don't put any effort into them, and then all of your listeners go, oh, I love this character, Tar. (laughs) It's a gosh darn stereotype, but he's apparently a lovable lug. Hey, I'm why like, hey guys, why are you look, fighting it? Look at this character. Oh, look, Koba. She's deep. She's got all these emotional things. She's got a backstory. What? Oh, okay. We'll just we'll just throw her away. You want to focus on the guy who clears closets with grenade law? Okay. All right. No, that's fine. That's. <laughs> why don't you hard. embrace it, Caleb? Why are you fighting this? <laughs> people love your NPC because <laughs> they don't love the ones I worked on. It's like <laughs> I've spent four years of my life writing this book. Oh, I like this children book you wrote overnight. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, maybe the, the truth call, is that calling the listeners simple. Or are you calling me a child because I like tar? I, I'm I'm actually very grateful that anyone's liked anything I've ever done. So it doesn't matter what it. I would just be like, oh, you do? Oh, tar, great, excellent. Let me push him forward. I'm so happy. You guys want to talk about tar some more? <laughs> so as the actor, right? So design NPCs, sort of not with stats, more with like ideas and archetypes. Uh, how to make them unique, some good tips on how to use dead NPCs I thought was an interesting way to go about things, and things to avoid when using NPCs. And one of them is like being overprotective, which I know uh, you felt was a problem with an NPC in Season 2. And and hearing how much that really bothered you, I could see how this is a good thing to avoid. They got a good list here of things you can avoid. This was really interesting. Boons. They list each NPC class and the unique boons you get for having them doing things for them or having them as a companion. I thought that was really cool, and I might use these some good ideas villains uh some archetypes like ooh the mad wizard or the crime lord and then uh a bunch of tables uh npc backgrounds goals physical characteristics personality characteristics occupations secrets reward for heroic deeds adventuring party name generator christian i thought it might be fun if we rolled on the adventuring party name generator and came up with a name for our duo adventuring party okay i'm so excited am i showing my real dice so they make a loud clanking yes, noise Yes, because I would like desk. to just abuse our listeners' ears. That would be, I think, favorable. All right, Christian. So I guess you roll a D10 and I'll roll my D percent. Is it wrong that I'm using the Dungeons & Dragons official Ooh, dice roller me too. <laughs> it's the first thing that came up. Oh, I feel so naughty. All right, what'd you get? Five. And I got 90, so 95. Okay. <laughs> roll again. Okay. Um, I got a five. I got a 20. So we got 95. We got 25. Four. 64. Okay. Well, uh, two more is, times. Isn't Pathfinder exciting? 10. <laughs> this, ooh, that's 100, Christian. We got it. Yeah, I can't wait to find oh, I'm out so what our ability <laughs> scores are when we're done rolling these. All right, one more. <laughs> 10. Okay. That brings us to 70. Christian, yes. we are. I'm ready. I'm standing triumphantly. The reputable. Already, I see this yeah. going wrong. <laughs> Bright, <laughs> incredibly inaccurate. Crows. Okay. Crows are smart, right? Yeah. Crows nets in the dark. We. That, we that's it. We are the beautiful. <laughs> Is nets our weapon? <laughs> we're the beautiful, bright crows nets in the dark, and that is uh, what we'll be changing the podcast name to be in the future. <laughs> but. Welcome to RBCNITD, the new podcast for everyone. <laughs> you can drop the IT, they're just like, you know, in and the. So RBCND, welcome to Rubicated, everyone's favorite podcast. All right, that was great. What a great waste of time that was. But it led to goofs and gaffs and laughs and all sorts of joviality. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just playing some role-playing games. Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? 
Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, grab some dice, and join us. Alright Christian, you come across an obviously important character to the plot, what do you do? I immediately shoot him in the face. Ugh, Christian. Chapter 5 Rewards. We did a whole episode on how to reward your players, and I admitted in that episode that I was bad at it. I've gotten considerably better. Let's see what kind of tips these guys give. You are the patron. While GMs constantly confront their players with all sorts of dangers, they also serve as the source of every reward the PCs ever gain from each experience point to treasures of legend. So it talks about getting bundled rewards versus frequent rewards. I kind of mix it up a little bit. Uh, bundled the idea of you've got all your rewards at the end of the dungeon, frequent as in you get it kind of partway through the dungeon you can extrapolate that for campaigns experience point tips i myself use the hand waved method they talk about though i can't deny the lure of immediate like you level up in the middle of a battle sounds amazing that sounds like that could turn the tide of a battle even if you throw in things like then you also like when you level up you get full health and restore all the you know daily abilities that's definitely got a lot of allure to me but i still use hand i think you need a very particular setting for that to really work in character it would be hard to explain that in like a low fantasy campaign sudden surge of strength someone just someone killed goblin number three (laughs) and now i can cast level two spells i feel like people can get their second wind it's a world of magic how come all of a sudden three minutes ago i didn't know level nine spells but now i do christian it's just the way it is it's already had this problem. It just it doesn't seem as weird because it happens overnight when you're asleep. You just wake up and you're a buff boy. Where did this plus four to strength come from? Must have leveled up. Why can't that happen in a little battle? And there should be like a little explosion that kills everyone. All right, treasure. Some talks uh, about magic shop problem, which uh, my solution about the magic shop problem. What I recently learned about the economy of Pathfinder, I didn't really know that you don't sell items for full price, that it's only a percentage here. Do you happen to know what that percentage is, Christian? Half. Oh, wow. Actually, I thought it was less than that. So you're always selling things at 50%. That's actually really cool and helpful now that I know that when you give your players rewards and things, you won't have to fear them just selling it to buy what they wanted for their character anyway. You can give them some more interesting things or or, or things that they maybe never would have bought, but would still be fun to use. I think that's honestly a huge solution to the problem. My poor GM that I'm playing for now, like he gives us this awesome stuff. And then when when our characters die and make new characters, he's like, well, I guess just whatever your wealth was in your last character. Well, then it's kind of imbalanced because now I can spend that wealth on things exactly suited to my character instead of the rewards I got weren't always exactly suited to my character. Now, a little note, a lot of things, of course, they were. He was a good GM. He'd be like, okay, you're a person who wears full plate. Here's an awesome set of full plate. I get that, but not (laughs) every reward is like that. They shouldn't all be like that. They should be interesting and fun. They make mention also of story items like the MacGuffins and different things where the reward of treasure isn't necessarily gold. They talk about starting campaign, how much treasure you should start with that. Not exact numbers, but just some tips about it. And how to make basic treasure interesting. And there's lots of good tips here on to help beyond, you know, money and magic items. I don't give my players enough like art and other forms of wealth. Though again, when I do do that, usually it just results in them hand waving that to like GP eventually. I mean, I don't know what the fun part about is going 
okay, here's a painting. Okay, here's five gold. Why not just start with five gold? But I feel like there's a happy medium there. I got to figure it out. I've had trouble with that myself, especially when you run Paizo pre-made campaigns. They often say like, oh, well, they open up this chest. It has, uh, well, first it has a thousand copper pieces in it. It has 32 silver. It's got uh, 18 gold. Uh, three pieces of platinum. It's got an oil painting worth this much money. If they make an appraised check, it's worth this much money. Okay, it's got a pearl tooth comb. Okay, I'm just going to write down it's how got, much it was worth. Yeah, like, it, I've never described one of those, and people have been like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, what am I writing on my character sheet, though? I'm not writing down boss relief painting. I'm not <laughs> writing down marble statue. <laughs> there is a part here about giving your players reward for, like, property and, and things like that. That's cool. I did a little bit of that, and it's only kind of now I'm realizing I did that in, in, uh, back in, like, the pre-Trailblazers days. And that, that hit over very well, so I can imagine doing that well, where your house gets better, you get better clothes, uh, especially if you you have, like, a home base and, and you visit the same sort of places and cities often. I could see that as being a big reward. Again, it's one of those things your players could always buy nicer clothes, but you don't really think about it, especially because they don't have mechanical benefits. So it's good to be able to sort of just give it to them. It's kind of like helping them with ideas that they wouldn't have normally. There's an idea about let your PCs create their own rewards. Maybe they get to make a brand new spell or they get a wish or a new magic item. Things that the creativity is coming from them instead of you. And then there's 20 pages of tables. That's right. More than half of this chapter is tables. <gasps> random items. Random armor. Random armor and shields. Random shields. Armor special materials. Shield special materials. Magic armor and shields. Magic armor special abilities. Magic shield special abilities. Random weapons. Simple weapons. Martial weapons. Exotic weapons. Magic weapons. Weapons special materials. Magic melee weapons special abilities. Magic range weapons special abilities. Random potions and oils. Zero level potions and oils. First level potion and oils. Second level potion and oils. Third level potion and oils. Random scrolls. Number of spells on scrolls. Scroll levels. Zero through ninth level arcane spell. That's right. That's ten different tables. Zero through ninth level divine spells, random wands, and then zero through fourth level wands. I know, Caleb, you're planning on soon running a little experimental campaign where everything is rolled for using all possible tables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it requires a lot of player buy-in, but I've always wanted to use these, but it's almost like... Murphy's Law, where the second you go to roll on this table, the first time you roll, you're like, I don't want to use tables anymore. <laughs> this was a bad idea. The rare times I've used tables, players have loved it, especially when they got to like help, like a roll on the reward table. I'm like, can I roll and see what mine is? Sure. So I'm actually looking forward to running that. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's also going to be interesting because I'm rolling on like encounter tables. I'm going to be rolling on story tables. This whole thing is going to be made together. It's going to be kind of fun. <laughs> it's basically a roguelike in every aspect possible. Then we're going to move on to chapter six, creating a world. This is 32 pages and you are the world builder. Whether running games on Galarian, home of the official Pathfinder campaign setting, thanks for that ad, or on a world of their own creation, GMs control nearly every aspect of an entire fantasy reality. While not just one world, but perhaps even multiple planets, planes, or even stranger settings under the GM's direction. Detailing your world, ask yourself questions the players and other characters in your world were asked so examples are like what's my base of operations are we at war or peace who has the most money and power what is the source of magic etc that actually seems pretty interesting way to build your world if you're asking the questions your players will ask your questions it will seem like your world's amazing even if it's not that amazing because you have an answer for every one of their questions and i again would recommend not 
just hitting them over the head with these answers, but answering it as it comes up. You don't need to know about all the world's governments. You will need to know it when you're trying to determine how to sway the war. Maybe do it then. Geography, some cultural considerations like language, religion, foreign relations, government and law, economics. List of societies. Each of these are going to get two pages each. Primitive, feudal, rural, slash agrarian, cosmopolitan, and other. It's actually very helpful. I thought that was cool. That'd be a great starting point. It's only two pages, but it's a great starting point. And by the way, Guy Montag or Valerian Menx, his character art comes from the Cosmopolitan List of Societies. It's a little tip for you, you Trailblazers guys out there. For those of you who don't listen to Trailblazers, you're like, Caleb, what are you talking about? My answer is, you've listened to other Pathfinder Academy episodes. I've mentioned it before. What are you talking about? They talk about technology. They talk about time. There's some good notes about dates here. For example, they talk about the U.S. is only 200 years old. Christianity has only seen two millennia. I suppose they mean without Jewish, the Jewish religion. Only took 150 years for us to go to the engine to putting a man on the moon. If you have a world that's 10,000 years old, it sounds cool, but then you wonder why people are still using plows. It feels a little weird. I thought that was a great little tip that I would never have thought of because I would immediately go to the world's 10,000 years old. Especially because when you have creatures like dragons and things that live that long. The cosmos, the planes, which is just a little brief about that where it kind of talks about each of the planes. Maybe it doesn't list all of them, but a good number of them. We're getting a whole book on that soon. I'm looking forward to reviewing that for you guys. And then parallel worlds. And then Christian, I need you to turn to that page and look at that wonderful retro futuristic art. I don't know what page it is. Do you mean this Thundercat looking lady with the freaking red bikini? strap over her chainmail skirt. Oh, <clears throat> uh, what page? What page <laughs> 116. 169. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, you've gotten it. Yes. <laughs> With her, like, 1990s sci-fi blaster. Oh, it's like 50s. It's like a space modulator. <laughs> I think Marvin the Martian's coming after me. It's fantastic. Looks- <laughs> it's just an advertisement <laughs> you'd see in, like, Nuka World for, you know, Fallout series. It's amazing. She looks like a cosplayer. <laughs> I think you mean a cosmonaut. <laughs> Chapter 7, Adventures. 58 pages, the biggest section in the book. Storyteller. Among a GM's most important tasks is imagining and telling engaging stories. All right, so let's get to talk about dungeons, which is a, they have a great list here of symbols you can use to help draw your encounter maps. I wish I knew these before I was just doing like a square as a door, and that's about as far as my symbols ever got. Really, what? really cool. I needed this in my life. I can't draw. Isn't this great? <laughs> My maps have confused more than they have helped my players. This is amazing. I guess a lot of them might be GM only. Like, you don't want to draw the secret trap door actually out on your map. <laughs> there's uh, types of encounters. And then there's, a like, this is like, we, we kind of talk about different types of encounters. They give a different list than we did. And then tables. Places to find dungeons. Types of dungeons. Dungeon entrances. Dungeon rooms. Mundane room characteristics. Exotic room characteristics. 100 pieces of armor. 100 pieces of minor or major dungeon dressing, dragon's lair, goblin den, graveyard slash necropolis, lost jungle city, planar stronghold, underwater ruin, unholy temple, wizard's laboratory, or laboratory. Uh, I guess it depends whether or not you saw the show called Dexter's Laboratory when you were a kid, to say how you said that word. And the uh, a lot of those are encounter tables, by the way. Then uh, planar. I misspoke earlier. This is the part where they give you a nice little primer on all the different planes. And there's a bunch of tables here as well. Hey, wild magic effects, random planar destinations, demi planes, portal descriptions, astral plane, ethereal plane, shadow plane, chaos aligned plane, evil aligned plane, good aligned plane, lawful aligned plane, neutral aligned plane, air dominant plane, earth dominant plane, fire dominant plane, war dominant plane. And they talk about taverns. 
Nice little tip here about giving bits of personality. Quote, merely adding a lisp to the bartender or giving the waitress a severe limp while she hobbles around the tavern can go a long way toward making a tavern memorable. In season one, a dumb rando shopkeeper was remembered throughout the entire freaking season because his accent sounded like Sean Connery. These little things can go a long way. I thought it was a great tip. And Christian, guess yeah, what? Caleb. More tables. Wow, it's like half the book is tables. Unique tavern trait, random tavern name, generator, menu items, and amenities. I already want to use one of these results here. It says only opens on public holidays. Kind of like a Majora's Mask clock tower feel. Actually, sounds like a really cool place to have your players be able to go to once in a while. That sort of like restricted thing can be engaging. I got the name of the Green Chamber, which is used in Trailblazers world and being a mainstay to a tavern people go to off of this list. So I don't know if that's a positive or a negative mention of this list that it's called the Green Chamber. However, this is the fact. (laughs) This is actually an amazing table. I love it. Your bar is full of cats. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> your bar was once run by a succubus once run one once run by a succubus maybe it still is yeah, ooh. Ooh. rumors mm. i mean i've seen the way they draw succubuses they're not disguised it's that's a succubus right there she has wings a tail this is a succubus. they can disguise caleb although they, they don't but they can i could be a tiefling <laughs> then urban they got stat rules for settlements and several example pre-made ones Thought that was interesting giving like stat rules for it. That's the way because Pathfinder is more Mathfinder. Bunch of tables like unique city decorations, shop names, a hundred city locations, arena, castle estate, menagerie, museum, rooftop, sewer, slum, tavern, thieves guild. Why is it always guild? It's always a thieves guild. What's it in Skyrim? It's a guild, right? Thieves club. What else would it be? What is in Skyrim? The thieves guild. Exactly. Water. There's ship stat rules with no examples. Uh, And then tables like undiscovered islands. Pieces of interesting flotsam. Flotsam's a fun word to say. Ghost ships. Try it yourself at home. I'll give you a second. See, wasn't that great? Ghost ships and shipwrecks. Sailors and boatmen. Types of boats and ships. Captains and ships. The sweat is getting profusely uncomfortable now. Have you ever tried to sleep on a leather couch? It's the worst, and that's how it feels sitting in this chair. You didn't want to know that, but you can't stop knowing that anymore. That's the power of podcasting. And wilderness. There's an interesting tip here that you should minimize skipping time during travel. And the quote here is, what's the benefit of spells like teleport after all if travel by foot is no different? That's a great like idea, but when it comes to practice... I have a hard time implementing it. Also, I don't want every travel just to be like, oh, well, now we got to run four random encounters or got to do something. I don't know. It's fine, like a hard rule to follow, but it seems like a solid rule when I think about it just from a oh, point I of view. I think the difference is that in storytelling, you're getting there instantaneously versus it could take you four days. Things, not necessarily things will happen to those players when they travel by foot, but the world is going to have four days of events that go on while you are walking versus teleportation. Oh, I'm there. I I, I think that's the big difference, which kind of goes against what they're saying. Yeah, traveling by foot to the actual person sitting at the table, not much different, but in terms of storytelling, huge difference. I think you can also, sometimes just having one thing happen will be enough to carry it because they'll talk about it and there'll be repercussions. Uh, Then there's some more tables. Things found on roadside, types of weather, scenic spots, terrain types, bent beach coast, eldritch forest, oasis, polar sky, temperate plains, volcano, wasteland. And we've moved on to our second to last chapter. Chapter 8, advanced topics. This is 24 pages. This might as well read. We couldn't find another spot to put this stuff. Game designer, even with the vast range of 
options presented in the Pathfinder RPG Cold Rulebook. Only GMs know what threats their players might face or powers they might come to control. Just as GMs arbitrate the rules within their games, so can they manipulate, repurpose, and wholly invent new rules to improve their games. So it talks about designing your own rules. If rules can't accommodate your story, they recommend don't pick a new system, don't say screw this, don't try to fit it into things, make your own stuff. Weird, the game's trying to keep you in their system. How unbiased of them. It's about chases. <laughs> Chase cards use this method outlined here. I've not had a ton of success with, success with it, but it'll do in a pinch, and I've not found really anything better than the system they're showing here. For Doesn't chases. Ultimate Intrigue have a different chase system? Maybe. I, when we review that book, I'd like to look at it because I don't like the system very much. It seems good on paper, but every time I run it, it's not gone super well or engaging. Then there is disasters, drugs, fortune telling. Okay. Gambling. <laughs> now, I've heard people and even myself uh, need to simulate gambling in your game. And I found the best results actually come from grabbing a deck of cards or using like free online roulette and crap simulators. Um, but they give an example of a game they made that, that uses D20s. So if you're looking for something you can do with just dice the table, grab that rule system. It's, not, it's like a quarter of a page. Haunts, which has had mixed reception. Uh, I even knew I think you were not so fond of it, yes? Yes, they use haunts in a couple pre-published adventure paths, in particular in The Rise of the Ruin Lords. I'm not a huge fan of how they made them. They're okay, but I just think... Pathfinder itself is not conducive to a horror-type setting, and haunts kind of end up being almost hokey, in a sense. It's like, oh, spooky things, the, the scarf is dancing. Ah. Uh. Hope you have a cleric that can channel positive energy. Hazard, uh, Mysteries, and Investigation. Two pages for something that I still have trouble with. It's a very hard thing to deal with, but I'm sure these two pages will do it just fine. Puzzles and Riddles. Oh, wow. Only now... In this book, finally here at the end, and for only two pages, we're going to talk about what's included in almost every dungeon. Great. Sanity and Madness, uh, quick rules that must not have done very well because Horrors Adventures redid the whole thing. But it's just a couple of pages, so at least you have that going for you if you want to implement a quick and easy one. Oh yeah, this, is the, this is the version where you could just fail a will save and get amnesia. It's great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> then we move on to Chapter 9, the NPC gallery the director over the course of a campaign game masters have need of dozens of characters and hundreds of encounters choosing and customizing each and presenting them however best aids the overarching plot yet creating these elements can prove a repetitive and time-consuming task you got that right there are themed groups in here with three npc stat blocks in each some art at least one for each and each of these things have sort of range in cr so you've got your adventurers, your brigands, your city watch, your coliseum, your criminals, one and criminals two, crusaders, dungeon entertainers, fighting school, frontier, heretics, marauders, mercenaries, merchants, military, nobles, road, royalty, sailors, scholars, seers, street, tavern, temple, tribe, and villagers. Now there's a mix of NPC and PC classes in here. Literally sometimes the same stat block will mix in those two things. And I gotta say, I love this section. You can get story inspiration just by flipping through this chapter. And it can also be very helpful when your players roll against an NPC that you weren't expecting. Like, chances are you can find something that'll work for you here. Oh, I wasn't expecting them to roll bluff against the king. Let me grab the king stats over here in the royalty section. In my early GM days, 
I would just make up stats, and that really wasn't great for anyone. Though sometimes it was like passable, but it was never above just fine. So the NPC gallery is 58 pages. It is very helpful. It is, it's a wonderful tool to have. But isn't the NPC codex like its own book that is just an entire book of this? Yes, and that is amazing. Uh, you got to remember that came after this. We're looking at it back with a little bit of, you know, hindsight. Uh, and when you look at things through history, it probably maybe the NPC Codex happened because this was so popular. So at the time, the only books that came out when this would come out was, I think, the Bestiary and the Corporal book. It feels weird now at the time. Absolutely yeah, I guess, I guess at the time it was like, oh, we, we have it here in the GM. I'm a GM. This is what I need as a GM. We already have tractors. Why do we have plows? Well, we had to get to one. <laughs> Why didn't they just start with cars? <laughs> so, Christian, that's the book. Let's talk about our conclusions. For me, it was actually encouraging to see many of our tips show up in this book. Obviously, we've gone into more depth about things because we've like given an entire podcast to just like little sections that they've given a couple pages to or a couple paragraphs. But it, it made me like I was kind of validated in a couple places. The organization is a bit confusing. Sort of the idea of where can I go back and look up some info that oh I remember them talking about how to deal with TPKs. Where was that? Good luck freaking finding that. Uh, the chapters seem like good separation, but organization within the chapters isn't the best, as we sort of talked about. For example, building a city is talked about on page 140 and 141. There's a note on that page. For more information on building cities, as well as important questions to consider, see pages 156 through 157 and page 209. Or have everything in one place, please. I noticed something similar when, in chapter 2, I don't remember the specific pages, but in chapter 2, running a game, they were talking about, oh, when you build a world, when you're running a game, you talk about the world you're building. And then there's an entire chapter later about creating your world. Well, why isn't that bit from running a game in creating a world? Our whole 200 series covers a ton of these topics. It's about GMing. This is the Game Mastery Guide. And a lot of them only get a few paragraphs where I felt we needed hours to discuss. So it's a little slim here. I think this book is a good foundation for you to expand upon. It touches everything a little bit and has some fantastic tips and nuggets that can help you avoid common mistakes, many of which I myself made when I first started GMing. And it gives you tools that make GMing so much easier, especially when you're first starting out. The NPC gallery itself is a great tool. The player types is a great tool. The tables are all sweet. But I have one caveat, as all the encounter tables reference Bestiary 1 only, so that was the only book out at the time, so they don't age that well. So for this book, I would recommend it for GMs, not players. Probably not a big surprise. As a player, you can always learn some things by getting into the headspace of your GM, of course, but this book isn't really for players that much. For the tables and the NPC gallery alone, this book is great. Combined with the foundational tips you get, I think this book is a good buy. But you can always do what I did and learn from the School of Hard Knocks while both you and your players suffer for it. <laughs> really, every game system throws their hat into the ring with this kind of game mastery guide idea. The idea of these are topics to suss through when you are a GM. And in terms of that, I haven't read other, I haven't read like the Shadowrun Game Mastery Guide. I haven't run, I haven't read the D&D Game Mastery Guide. So I don't really Heck, know. You haven't even read You're this. right. <laughs> <laughs> but from my short experience with it and the few paragraphs I've skimmed over, it doesn't seem like in terms of that, this is your mark of this is what we know are good solutions to problems. It doesn't seem like the strongest entry just because it is not in great detail. I do think that a lot of these entries do need a little bit more focus. Overall, I think it's actually pretty good. Like you said, the actual answers that they do have for a lot of the problems that you will encounter as a first-time GM are great. They're excellent. My favorite part of the book is that small part with when you run into teleportation, when you run into remote viewing, 
What are good answers to handle that? Because that is where it's not general anymore. This is not something that any publishing company for any game could have written. This is something that is specific to Pathfinder. These are specifically problems that I am going to run into running Pathfinder, and I wish the book had a little bit more of that. Well, I think we've pretty much given up ranking the books. I think that's sort of a dumb way to do it. So I think the sort of the conclusions we gave here are enough. But I would put the core rulebook for no, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd give it five stars <laughs> out of how many you don't know. See, that's how I get away with it. <laughs> I give it five reputable crows <laughs> out of a murder. <laughs> out of a what was it? A beautiful. Beautiful, bright net uh, out of a net of birds. Out of a net of birds. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Well, this has been uh, the RBCND podcast. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening.